Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by The Spectator World. I'm The Spectator's Washington editor, Amber Athey, and I'm joined by our assistant editor, Teresa Mall. And we saw last week a pretty disturbing incident where a young man flew across the country from California to Bethesda, Maryland, and showed up at the house of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He was eventually arrested after marshals spotted him heading towards the home. And it turned out that he was there to try to assassinate Brett Kavanaugh because he was upset about the leaked Supreme Court opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. This young man had a gun, he had a knife, he had various tools that he was planning on using to, I guess, tie up Brett Kavanaugh, and overall just a very insane case. I mean, this is probably one of the most aggressive attempts at political violence in at least a few years, if not longer. And yet there's been some weird radio silence from the media about this. In fact, over the weekend on the Sunday shows from CNN to ABC to NBC to MSNBC, none of them covered this assassination attempt at all. And it's almost like this has been memory hold because it doesn't fit the idea that we're being force fed right now in terms of January 6th is the political violence attempt we need to focus on, and everyone who was involved in January 6th was a domestic terrorist because they supported Trump. So, Teresa, I maybe there's something more to it than that. Maybe I'm missing something, but it does seem to me like this is a clear case of media hypocrisy. They don't want to cover this because it makes the left look violent. Absolutely. I don't think you're missing anything at all. I saw that even Bill Maher came out and condemned the left-wing media for just ignoring this completely. It was all the way back on page 20 of the New York Times. I saw someone say, like, it doesn't matter when something like this happens to a Supreme Court justice. It is always on the front page. It did not make the front page of the U- of USA Today, the Chicago Tribune. Like you said, all those other television networks just completely ignored it. And I don't have high expectations to the for the mainstream media. I try not to read it, but even this I found to be, you know, my bar is low, but this is pretty egregious. As you said, you know, anytime there's a mass shooting, the left-wing media's first reaction is to accuse the shooter of being a radical white supremacist or a pro-Trump supporter. But in this case, of course, the the would-be shooter was not, and so they conveniently swept it under the rug. And I see this as not only just irresponsible journalism, but dangerous. Because if you're not going to condemn such behavior, they're not they're not only not condemning it, they're not even reporting on it, which is saying that essentially they don't believe that it's a big deal. It doesn't matter. It's not even worth reporting on. So they're essentially, you know, condoning the violence. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that was the same thing that happened ahead of the 2020 riots. I mean, there were initially some smaller protests that got out of hand in response to the death of George Floyd and the media kept saying, you know, they're largely peaceful and these people are just fighting for justice. And lo and behold, people continue to riot throughout the summer and the violence only escalated and got worse because they were getting a free pass from the media and from Democrats who were actually donating to bail funds to help these people get out of jail. Then you fast forward and you mentioned, you know, the recent coverage of some of these mass shootings 
it, uh, the Buffalo shooting, for example, was blamed on white supremacy. Um, and they tried to link the shooter to Tucker Carlson because they were desperate for this guy to be a right winger. But it turned out in his manifesto, he had written that he actually despised conservatives and hated capitalism and was a pretty avowed left wing socialist who just happened to also be a white supremacist in that. So it didn't really fit that neat political box that they had created. And then, of course, a couple of weeks later, or maybe a week later, when the school shooting happened in Uvalde, Texas, then the narrative couldn't be about white supremacy because the shooter was a Hispanic male and that it was about gun control. So there's always some way to explain these inconvenient truths by the media and I saw a couple of really disturbing responses to the Kavanaugh assassination attempt in particular, which was one I saw Democrats saying, you know, people protest outside of my home all the time. What's the big deal? As if we're all just supposed to accept that as a normal part of, you know, political dialogue, not to mention that there are specific federal laws against picketing Supreme Court justices because they're they're not elected officials. They're not supposed to be there for the public to change their minds. And then two, I listened to the 911 call from the would-be shooter, and it was pretty disturbing because he is very calm when he's talking to them. I mean, he's breathing pretty heavily, but he turns himself in. And that's actually how he ended up getting taken in by the police. And I saw a lot of people responding to that by saying, well, see, he knew what he was going to do was wrong. So what's the big deal? This was a guy going through a mental health crisis and it was fine. But when you look at the level of planning that it took for him to get from California to D.C. to check a firearm when he flew across the country, to have padded boots so that he could move stealthily through a house, to have ropes and all of these different tools. The only moment when he actually turned away was when he got out of the taxi cab and saw that there were uh, U.S. marshals stationed outside of Brett Kavanaugh's house. So was him turning himself in really a moment of clarity from his mental health issues, or did he know that he had no chance of pulling this off and figured at that point it was better for him to turn himself in? But again, the downplaying of this, like, oh, it was just some mentally ill guy. Well, yeah, it's always just some mentally ill guy until they actually go through with their plans and end up hurting a lot of people. Right. The fact that this guy even had the idea and thought that this was a good idea and put forth all of that effort to show up at Brett Kavanaugh's house. And like you said, the only thing that really turned him away, as we say time and time again, is a good guy with a gun or in this yeah. case, all of those those marshals there guarding his house. Goodness knows what we hate to think what would have happened had those guards not been there. But this this shouldn't really be surprising based on, you know, I don't know if you watch CNN or any of these other shows that don't condemn violence whenever it's against the right side. But we, Jen Psaki did not, she refused um, notably to condemn these protests whenever these first started with the Roe v. Wade leak. And, you know, the same thing with Black Lives Matter, with Antifa, with all of this violence, as you mentioned, that's been going on across the country. The, the left doesn't stand up and they don't condemn condemn it. So it's not really surprising that somebody like this would get the idea to go ahead and be violent. And it's it's a terrible precedent to set because, like you said, Supreme Court justices are not supposed to be swayed by public opinion. And, and who knows what fear this might have put into Brett Kavanaugh. You know, I'm sure he's scared for his life and for his family and what, what might be going through the other Supreme Court 
court justices' minds, other judges, other people um, who are decision makers in the public eye in America, and just average citizens themselves. You know, I, I'm sure more people are going to think twice about expressing an opinion openly, about tweeting something, about putting something that might be a little controversial or not in the mainstream out there whenever you know that somebody can can show up armed to the teeth and nobody's going to condemn it, at least at least not on the left anyway. Sure. And it wasn't that long ago that the left was encouraging people to run Trump supporters out of public places. Maxine Waters had that infamous moment where she said, make sure they're not welcome here and, and told people to attack them at restaurants or gas stations or wherever they were seen in public to make people afraid of expressing their opinion. And I'm really glad you brought up Jen Psaki's comments because the White House is now gaslighting us about what she actually said about this. At the time, she said, and I quote, that the president certainly encourages people to continue to show up at the homes of Supreme Court justices. And yet recently we had the assistant press secretary, Andrew Bates, claim that she said the opposite of that, even though he literally tweeted out a transcript of Jen Psaki's comments and highlighted the sentence before her saying that she certainly encouraged and ignored everything after that, but thought, I don't know, that we were all were illiterate or something and we wouldn't figure it out. And then Karine Jean-Pierre just yesterday during a press briefing claimed that Jen Psaki or the president never directed people to protest at a certain place. And I always go back to this moment, too, that I think was really undercovered when Chuck Schumer was first um, speaking after the leak of the Roe v. Wade draft opinion. He said that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch and the other conservative justices had, they were going to they unleashed the whirlwind or something to that effect, or they were going to reap the whirlwind and that they would have to pay the price. And it goes back to this question of what does that mean for Supreme Court justice? How can they pay the price? They're there for a lifetime appointment. They're not elected officials. They are not supposed to be, again, we've said this like five times already, but swayed by public opinion. And the only thing that I could think of for paying the price could be being intimidated or having violence brought upon them or having protesters outside their house all day long, scaring their children. And it's crazy to me that the past two weeks, we are supposed to pay attention to these January 6th show trials that have been massively produced by a former ABC president and are going on the primetime TV slots on the broadcast networks. And it's all about tying Trump to the events at the Capitol riot and claiming that his use of the word fight, which is a common term used in politics about anything and everything was somehow an incitement to violence. And yet we can't connect Chuck Schumer or the White House or any of these other people who encourage these protests to what happened outside of Kavanaugh's house. Of course, Chuck Schumer is never going to be held accountable for those words or made to explain them because he couldn't. So um, yeah, what else could he mean by paying the price whenever you, you're you not going to be out for re-election? <laughs> you know, what could possibly happen? I also saw a hat tip to Newsbusters at the same time as this was all happening. I think that was in the wake of Obamacare. And there, we had the shooting of um, Steve Scalise around the same time at the, at the baseball game, of course. Course, we can compare that to uh, the shooting of Gabby Giffords, which, of course, are both, you know, just terrible things that have happened. But how one got more more news coverage, I would say more sympathy <laughs> than the other. And we can guess which way that went in the mainstream media. But at the same time, a guest on CNN said that she hoped there would be a national uprising over the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. And lo and behold, a few years later, we see that happening. So 
these words matter. People listen to this. It's in their brain 24-7 news cycle, and um, and it's warping people. This this incident at Brett Kavanaugh's house came at the worst possible time for the left. You know, they're trying to pump up the January 6th, quote-unquote, insurrection and, and the violence that they say was surrounding that. And then whenever an actual, you know, near act of violence happens, it, it, they, they ignore it because it's going to distract from, from their narrative. But this is also the perfect time to talk about gun control because the, the shooter, whenever he called 911, told them, I need psychiatric help, which is, of course, you know, as you, as you said before, all of these shooters who, who try to attempt these, these types of actions and, and carry through with them are suffering from some sort of mental illness. There's, there's so many issues wrong with society. All of them, I would say, promoted by left-wing ideologies and policies. And these are not the issues that are being addressed. And this is a perfect opportunity to say, look, this guy was about to do something terrible, something tragic, something awful, and a huge spotlight, you know, enacting it on a Supreme Court justice. This is this is a big story. Now let's address it. Let's address what was going on with this man. And it was a psychiatric issue. It wasn't a gun. He didn't say, you know, I saw a gun and it it made me want to be violent. <laughs> um, it was something that he admitted was wrong with him. So that's the perfect segue to do more about, you know, fixing what's wrong with society and what's causing these mental illnesses. But they won't even address it. So absolutely. This guy, when he called the police, actually said that he, well, I think he said this in later interviews, that he was looking for something to give his life purpose. And this was a 26-year-old young man who had his whole life ahead of him. And the fact that he thought that his life didn't have any meaning, didn't have any purpose, and, you know, he talked about living with his parents, is really sad. And it speaks to this really nationwide feeling among a lot of young men of isolation, of not having meaning, of wondering why they're here. And as you said, the left really has destroyed a lot of the traditional institutions that might catch somebody like that and make sure that they have a community around them to support them and make them feel loved and make them feel wanted. And that's something we never really get into. We never get into the deeper psychological issues behind why these things happen. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The District, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com.